sacrifice is continuing, ongoing, and will end on Sunday, September 24th. And as always, you can always stay up to date with what's happening here at Grace Church via the church app or by clicking on the events tab on our website. God bless you this evening as pastor comes. Good to see you folks tonight. Uh, always good to see you. Glad you're here. Thank you so very much for coming and being here tonight. And uh, I'm excited about what the Lord is doing and anticipate um, seeing the Spirit of the Lord work here tonight. Have you come open-minded, open-hearted to see the Spirit of the Lord work here tonight? Uh, I sure hope you have, and I believe that you have. And oh my, what a service this past Sunday. Um, was thrilled about the strong, strong manifestation of the presence of the Lord that was here Sunday. And I want to applaud Grace Church. Um, the praise team was singing. Those of you that were here would remember praise team was singing. And uh, they concluded their worship set on a just a, such a high note of praise and worship. And uh, I know the congregation got really involved in it. Um, and I felt the, the feeling of my heart, at least from, from my point of view, from pastor's point of view, was that there was just a strong hunger from the congregation to just want to worship the Lord for a little while. And I believe there was, there's always a strong hunger in the heart of God to want to be worshiped. And um, so I called everybody up to the front not for the typical altar service to bring you needs up here and ask God for a whole lot of things. My idea was just to have you come and just to worship the Lord, and we encourage you to do that intermittently through the altar service, and you did that, and I'm very thankful for that, and uh, I applaud you for that. Uh, people didn't seem to be in a hurry to leave, and uh, I am thankful that uh, our young Tucker Coley received the baptism of the Holy Ghost uh, Sunday morning and it took him a little while to uh, get out from under that spout where the Holy Ghost comes out at and uh, so very thankful for that um, I do want to say uh, that people have, have said, religious people various denominations and whatnot have said uh, through the years about the validity of speaking in tongues and all of that. When you see a child do it, it's, it's hard for a child to fake it when, when they're in that moment. You got tears streaming down their face. There's just a tremendous note of sobriety. Uh, I don't know how old Tucker is. Uh, eight, nine years old, maybe seven years old. Somebody help me. Seven. Um, to ask a seven-year-old to just go up there and fake all that or to just get so emotional you just do it from your emotions. I just, I don't think that's possible. I believe he experienced a God manifestation Sunday morning and one that he will always remember and never forget. So thank you, Grace Church, for your willingness to um, just make a statement come forward even before we invited people to come. Of course, our youth group was up here, but people just started coming. And uh, I just felt from the crowd 
from the congregation just a hunger and a desire to just want to just let's just worship the Lord for a little while. We ask God for stuff all the time. And it's just nice sometimes to just come and worship uh, and praise him without particularly asking for anything. And I, I believe there was people blessed here Sunday not really expecting to be blessed. They just came to worship the Lord and in return, God blessed them tremendously for that. So I want to encourage all of us to not pass up that moment uh, to worship the Lord, that time to worship the Lord when we are afforded that time you set your feelings aside you set your desires aside and you accommodate what God wants what God desires and that's the greatest thing I believe that can happen in human experience I want to uh, come to you tonight again maybe treachy um, well let me read my scripture and then from, from the word of God and then we'll go into what I want to talk to you about tonight and again I won't predict how this is going to end it may end like a regular Bible study and we might end up with people in the altars and uh, musicians and singers who knows um, done my best this year to prepare us on Wednesday night for either and uh, sometimes we'll have preaching sometimes we'll have Bible study I'm trying to get us out of the routine of being so predictable about things and when they're going to happen and how they're going to happen John chapter 6, verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him. <clears throat> I will mention to you this scripture setting, so I'll give you a heads up. This is the feeding of the 5,000. So when the Bible said a great multitude, that means 5,000 men, not counting the women and the children. A great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. And when Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him. I want you to get this picture. He got out of a ship. He walked across the shore, the beach, and then went up into a mountain. And 5,000 men, not counting women and children, followed him. I can't imagine what that would have looked like. That's, that's impressive to me. And when Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he said unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, to prove Philip, for Jesus himself knew what he, Jesus, would do. So Jesus knew what he was going to do. He just threw that out to Philip to see what Philip would do. Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon, brother, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, there's a lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in the number, in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples took them. 
that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would, when they were filled, when all the people ate and were full, he's, Jesus said unto his disciples, gather, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth that prophet that should come into the world. I want to title this tonight in the form of a question, Would God use me? Why don't you look at your neighbor if they're close enough to you and ask them that question, Would God use me? What do you think? If God would use you, what capacity do you think God would use you in? I want to clarify that in just a moment. I believe everyone, I believe everybody has something to offer to God. I believe everybody does. Does it matter? If you're able to repent of your sins, be baptized, all of that, you have something to offer God. And if we will offer what we have to Jesus, he will bless it and multiply it beyond our greatest expectations. There's people here tonight that are living this as I speak. God has taken your family, you and your family, from a place that you were that was very negative, lots of negative consequences, and have brought you to a far greater place than you have been. And you've taken what little you have and gave, given it to God, and God has blessed and multiplied and blessed and multiplied in so many ways. I believe tonight that God loves regular, just regular, ordinary people. Oftentimes, Jesus uses people of great talent and ability, but he delights in using the common person whose talents and abilities are sometimes less than remarkable. Frequently, God has chosen the weakest individuals and made them the strongest. He chooses the insignificant person and makes them significant. There's people sitting here tonight that have told me I never dreamed that I could ever be used of God to the capacity that I'm being used of God now. I want to make a statement tonight. I want to, I want to have a very one-sided conversation. It's only going to be me talking. But I would like for you to treat this as a conversation just for a moment, and then I'll get back into pastor mode teacher mode I believe that people can and are used of God through many different conduits I want you to understand what I'm saying the easiest and most convenient conduit through which people are used of God is through their gifting and their talent these would come really natural to people. We do that here. We make a focus of doing that here. When you go through grace steps, you'll take a personality and gifting assessment, and then we determine from that, and it helps you determine where you can be the most useful in, in, in the kingdom of God in God's house, where you can be the most 
useful very naturally. I've had people tell me, and it's, and it's happened to me, that where they were used in a local church setting at a capacity that they were never really that comfortable with. Uh, going through personality and a, 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 a assessment and gifting, they're like, oh, wow, this is, this is why I wasn't comfortable doing that, but I'd be more comfortable doing this. It, it comes more natural. Y'all understand what I'm saying here tonight. Say amen if you do. I believe your particular personality can be another conduit where God can use you easily and naturally. I know people who are just real charismatic in their personality. They never meet a stranger. I know preachers like that, and it's, it's, it's to me almost annoying. I've had this conversation with other people just one-on-one at a lunch table or whatever, but it's almost annoying when people are just so prone and just so quick to just be friendly and just talk to people and just suck people right in, if you'll excuse my expression. So when I talk about personality, it can be a real social person and so on. Another conduit where people can be used of God fairly easily is through the conduit of education or credentials. Uh, Dr. Cooper will be here Sunday. She's allowing herself to be used of God through extreme quantities of education and credentials. And I think that's an amazing thing. Sometimes even being financially able to be really financially blessed plays a role as to how we are used or even used at all. And I'll go as far as to say that even a combination of one or more of the things I've just mentioned can play into people being used of God in some capacity so easily and so naturally. But could we be used of God through the conduit of just simple burden and simple passion? It's not because I'm gifted. It's not because I have education. It's not because I have money. It's just something about it when I see a person that's unchurched, when I see a person that used to serve God that's not serving God now, my heart burns on the inside. And I'm not going to try to rely on some gift or talent that I have to reach that person. I'm going to go after them just simply because, no other reason, just simply because I care about them. Could we be used of God at that level? In other words, being used of God when it's not easy. To be used of God when it doesn't come natural. I I couldn't leave this point and, well, let me ease back into pastor-teacher mode here right now. I want to applaud all of our leadership team here at Grace Church. I think all of you do a phenomenal job. I especially appreciate our Sunday school teachers Probably one of the more thankless jobs uh, that's done in the church arena, in my opinion. Uh, They work hard. They're consistent. They're faithful. They're dependable. They're here Sunday in, Sunday out. Oftentimes, most of the time, teaching kids that aren't even related to them. But they do it out of just strict burden and strict passion for an age group of people that they want to bring God to on their level that they can understand. 
So with that being said, I want to dive into this Bible study tonight. The Bible said when Jesus landed the, the ship on the, the shore, he saw waiting people. And Mark observed, and, and here's the point I was making a moment ago, that he was moved with compassion towards them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. They were lost, is what the scripture is implying. They lived in a world that was so religious. They lived in a nation that religion was a top priority. Now what brand and how you believed and all of that is another conversation, but these people were surrounded by religiosity, religious things, religious talk, religious conversation, religious debate, religious this, religious that. The Pharisees and the Sadducees swapped saints. Like you change your socks. And they were always proselyting each other's church members. And Jesus was moved with compassion towards them because in his eyes, as much as they knew about the law of Moses, as much hope they, as they had in the coming Messiah, all of that, somehow their faith could never be settled on anything that was really necessary, if you will, to move them towards a closer relationship with God. So when Jesus saw that, I don't want to read something into the scripture that's not there. But it seems like Jesus wasn't necessarily, from, from our point of view, from a human point of view, planning on ministering to anybody in particular when he got there. But when he saw this crowd of people, it moved him. It could have been that he just wanted to get off of that boat and go straight up to the mountain and just rest for a while, which rightfully so. I don't know what his trip was like coming over. I don't know what he had been through, what he had experienced, but whatever it was, he set all of that aside because of a very compelling compassion. He didn't minister to them because he was talented. He didn't minister to them because he was gifted. You understand me now? Say amen if you do. He didn't minister to them because he was gifted and talented and had a lot of money, had a lot of education, he had a lot of experience. None of that. He ministered to them through the conduit of compassion, which is summarized by burden and passion. I have to say something to these people that would help them. I want to encourage Grace Church. I've been talking about reaching out to people. We did the prayer meeting uh, last Tuesday night where we brought names up here and prayed for people. And we're seeing movement. God's working. Oh, yes, he is. Uh, I hope you find out about that in a few weeks. We'll see. But he ministered to them, and I want us to understand that sometimes you have to step out of yourself outside of your comfort zone, outside of who you are and what your credentials are, whatever they may be, and say, I just, my heart is moved toward this person. My heart is moved towards this family. My heart is moved to their spiritual plight. I'm not moved necessarily because they have money or they don't have money or they live in a nice house or don't live, live, uh, live in a nice house. 
We're surrounded by all kinds of religions and these people are unsettled and, and maybe they used to have some religious conviction in the past, but now they don't. And I feel a compassion for them. It's not arrogance. It's not I know everything and I'm hoity-toity in my relationship with God and they're not. I'm not talking about that. I'm looking at, talking about looking at somebody and maybe have tears well up in your eyes and say, God, I'll set everything I am aside if you'll open the door for me to go talk to that person. Would we do that? Could we do that? Would God use me? The Bible said when Jesus began to talk to them, he talked to them about the kingdom of God, which is the Holy Ghost. The Bible teaches that. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but joy, peace, and righteousness in the Holy Ghost. That's what he talked about. The Bible also said in Matthew chapter 14, I will remind you that all four Gospels record this story. And it's amazing to me. Matthew said that he healed their sick. He ministered to them. He prayed for them. He talked to them. He did many things for them. He taught them the scripture. What a picture the scripture gives of this incredible occasion. Here was the good shepherd caring for and calling to the thousands. They were gathered like sheep on that grassy Galilean hillside. Jesus still ministers to those who are in desperate need. If you're here tonight in desperate need, it doesn't matter what it is. Jesus has a love and a compassion. He's not attracted to you because of who you are. He's not attracted to you because of your money or your status in life, any of that. He's attracted to you because you're a human being that possesses a soul and he wants to do everything he can to step into your life and make your life the best it can be. I'd appreciate an amen or a praise the Lord or something here once in a while. If we would only be as eager as the multitude who sought him that day, if people could be as eager... I believe there are people that are that eager. They just don't know how. They don't know where. They don't know who. But I believe if we could be that eager, we would discover just how much Jesus truly does care about our lives. Jesus did not hold himself apart in that day. And neither will he stand aloof today. When people come, it could be a little boy that's seven or eight years old, hungry for God, I believe God set that whole service aside for Tucker Sunday morning. Jesus did say, if you forbid children to come unto me, it'd be better if somebody tied a millstone, a thousand to a two thousand pound stone around your neck and throw you in the ocean. Don't tell me he don't care even about a young child. Yes, he does. 
And I believe he worked that whole service and he saw the hunger and the desire out of Tucker and said, you know what, today's the day. I'm going to walk up on his seashore. I'm going to walk into his life. He's going to have a sit down, come to Jesus meeting with me. And before this is over, I'm going to fill him up with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Everybody clap your hands tonight to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank the Lord. Jesus enters into our sufferings. The Bible said in Hebrews chapter 4 that he is touched with a feeling of our infirmities. He had a nature like our own. Of course, he didn't sin, but he had a nature just like ours. He was a man, a human, just like we were, and he is full of compassion towards struggling humanity. Watch this. As Jesus continued, continued to minister to these people, the disciples continued to rationalize everything. Let me figure out what he's doing. Let me see if he's going to do this. Let me see if he's going to do that. Let me see what he's going to do about this person. Let me see what he's going to do about that person. They had noticed and possibly thought that Jesus had not even noticed, got carried away in ministry, and didn't even notice the sun was setting. It's about to be nighttime. These people are up in the mountain and we got to travel. They got to travel. We got to get out of here. We got to get them home safely, all of that kind of stuff. They're beginning to rationalize and, and they're trying to put Jesus in a box some kind of way. Do we not oftentimes do the same thing? I could spend a lot of time here tonight. I, I'm going to have to hurry if I'm going to get through this. But they bottom line suggested that we send the people away. Send them away, they said. They urged Jesus, send them away. Do you see tonight by this story that that's not his style? It doesn't matter what time of the day it is. It doesn't matter what the conditions are. It doesn't matter what's going on. If he's ministering to people, he will stay as long as we will. Everybody say amen. amen. So Jesus was doing his ministry and the disciples struggled with doubt and probably reasoned that the people would do well in that desolate area if they all found food and lodging in the nearby villages. Perhaps if Jesus would act quickly, they could avert a dilemma. Somehow, somewhat impatiently, they reminded Jesus, we are here in a desert place. As if the one who created that desert place didn't know that. The things, everybody listen to me. And I, I struggle with this my own self. I'm being very transparent tonight. The things that per perplex us the most are so easily handled by Jesus. Wish we all could understand that just a little bit more. Jesus often spoke a few words or touched a sufferer with his hands to heal and minister to human needs. Nature always obeyed his command. Nature always obeyed his command. The real question then is not whether Jesus can handle our problems. The question has always been whether we have confidence in his ability to handle our problems. I don't believe we question his ability as much as we question his methods. Because we map it out, this is the way we want you to do it, God. And when he don't do it that way, we get all confused and say, God don't care and he don't love me and all that kind of stuff. To their astonishment, Jesus told his disciples after they said, it's getting late, we need to send them home. 
Jesus said, they need not depart. You give them something to eat. (laughs) I I, I, kind of get this. Maybe not on that level, but I kind of get it. That Jesus, you are asking me to do something that's just not possible. Well, go ahead, Einstein. That's the whole point. Can God use me? Can he? I believe the 12 disciples looked at each other in bewilderment. I have no clue. Jesus has gone off the rails. It's getting dark and he's still praying for people and healing people and, and, and all that kind of stuff. They're hungry. They need to leave. Come on, man. Can't you just use a little common sense here, Jesus? Jesus don't have to rely on common sense for anything. When you're God incarnate in flesh, you can do anything outside of any realm. I feel like I'm preaching a very untimely presentation tonight, but I'm going to do it anyway. You'll notice they even protested. Jesus engaged, shut down ministry and engaged the rationalizing disciples and said, you give them to eat. You give them something to eat. And Philip rationalized the situation. I'm I'm not faulting him. I'd probably have done the same thing, so would you. Philip assessed the situation and he said, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them. And even at that, the people would only get a little small portion, kind of an appetizer. So you can't feed them a meal even on 200 penny worth of bread. Let me explain to you what 200 penny worth of bread is. Philip had calculated what it might cost to feed a crowd of 5,000 men. If you added women and children, I'm sure you're in the ten dollars to $15,000 range at this point. What Philip is saying, penny worth the, the, the pay back then, it's going to sound horrible to you, but that was their economy and culture back then, and they lived on it some kind of way. They made a penny a day. The Bible establishes that. They, they, they made a penny a day was the average wage back then. So Philip said it would take 200 pennies. Do you realize how much yearly pay that is? So it would take, he's saying, we would have to work 200 days and give all of that To feed these people. Here it is in today's market so you'll appreciate the numbers. The average pay in the United States right now is $71,500 a year. So had that been us and that was our average pay, it would have cost $39,700 to feed those people. Does anybody have that much to uh, ante up real quick so we can feed 10 to 15,000 people? Why can't Jesus ever be reasonable? Why couldn't it have been a crowd of four people where it was affordable? But Jesus just, (laughs) he just don't ever seem to be reasonable when it comes to faith. He's always stretching, is he not? He's always stretching, always stretching, asking you to do What you can't do. God, I can't. God, I can't. God, I can't. Well, if you want to be used, 
it won't be you being used. It'll be me using you. You'll be a tool that I use. Anyway, you get that point. As many people often do, Philip had, had greatly underestimated what Jesus could do. He is offering up the best he could do, but never made one single comment. He did not intimate in any way, shape, or form of what Jesus could do. And thankfully, the Bible said that Andrew, Peter's brother, stepped up and said, Hey, I found a little boy out here that has a lunch. And it kind of bailed Philip out. Before we complain about what we do not have, we need to ascertain what we do have. And where we don't have physical means, educational means, all these gifts and talents where we may not have all of that, we do have Jesus. I'm trying to inspire somebody here tonight. We, we painted a too, way too, too confining of a circle around Grace Church. We, we, we can do more. Uh, we can have somehow or another, we can do more, and I believe that tonight. So Jesus said to his disciples, You go see. How many loaves are out here? You go see. Go and see. That was Mark's accounting of the story. God asked Moses that time when he was calling him to go lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. He asked Moses, what is in your hand? You have something I can use if you'll give it to me. Now, I'm going to take it completely out of the context for which that object was made. But if you'll give it to me, I'll amaze you with it. We all have something in our hand. And it's things that we use sometimes, ever occasionally, when we're not comfortable. Sometimes you have to do it. You know where people are the most uncomfortable is when they're going into surgery. I didn't mean to blindside you so bad with that statement, but I just met somebody recently hate to call names, y'all know that, but Sheila Landry told me here a while back that she couldn't wait to have a surgery done. And I thought she needed some kind of psychiatric evaluation. That is probably, surgery and going to jail is probably my two greatest fears and falling off of a tall building. Um, what's in your hand? He may not ask you this time for your bank account. He may not ask you this time for your education. And he may not ask you this time for your, your experiences. And he may not ask you this time for your gift and talent. He may want to use another part of you that's called passion and compassion and burden. He may want to draw from that one. And we talk about faith being developed and undeveloped and all that kind of stuff. How about burden and compassion? How much have we developed it? Let me ask you tonight, what brought Sister Murphy and I to this church originally 30 years ago? What brought us here? It wasn't the size of the church. It wasn't the condition of the church. It wasn't because there's was a lot of people. I'm, I'm running out of reasons already as to why we came. All I can default to <laughs> is I heard about a church that was broken. It was in real, real bad shape that needed the move of God and burden and passion motivated us to come to this church 30 years ago. Samson found the jawbone 
of a donkey. How many people do you know? How many people in the Bible do you know? Donnie Davis, you're a student in the Bible. James Tomlinson, you're a student in the Bible. There's others. How many people do you know in the Bible that Samson had precedent for in his mind that fought off a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey? I don't know that there was ever anyone else in the Bible that fought a war that way and prevailed with it. How stupid is that? Are y'all shocked or something here tonight? I've just got this look. He found it. He reached out and took it. I don't find where Samson was trained in the jawbone of a donkey warfare. I don't know if he took a military class and all you had for a weapon was a job. Y'all get the point. God asked Mr. Strongman to use a weapon. I, I don't know if y'all are with me tonight. I can't get a read on you folks tonight if, if, if any of this is even making sense to you. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep plowing. I got a few more minutes. We should take a good look around us before we give up in despair at the challenges we face. Because if we have Jesus. I thought I'd get something out of that, just a little bit anyway. There's been moments this year, I can promise you, Sister Murphy will tell you, if I had not had that knowledge and experience of having the presence of God with me, I don't know what would have happened. Gone through some very dark times. I've learned that when I have nothing else in my hand I can use, and all of the common ways that I've worked through dilemmas and whatnot, all the easy ways, all the natural ways, when all that is gone, and all I'm left with is Jesus, it seems like that's when he really starts moving the most. We have so many dependencies, we have so many tools, we have so many weapons that we use that there's not a lot of room for God sometimes in our life. I want God to know, can you use me? Absolutely. And whatever you put in my hand, whatever you give me to use, I'll, give, I'll use it with all of my might. I'll give it everything I've got. I'll do everything I can with it. Amen. Faith looks for potential. Faith looks for potential. Unbelief sees only obstacles. So here we go. All four of the Gospels tell of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, but only John recorded the fact that there was a little boy who gave up his lunch. I don't know how much he brought to eat that day, but keep in mind there at the end of the day. And if this is all he brought, he's hungry. Anybody feel me? And he gave it. He gave it. It's amazing to me. John chapter 6 verse 9 is the only verse in the Bible that refers to this little boy. But his contribution to the kingdom of God has been preached for untold years by many, how many untold preachers 
innumerable sermons through the years. He's mentioned one time and one verse, and he added a whole content to the kingdom of God that is mind-boggling to us. He gave up that little lunch. It adds a beautiful and significant touch to this story. It speaks loudly of the ways of God. It encourages us all to offer whatever we can, as little as it may seem, offer it to Jesus. There was not much that that little boy with the lunch could do. One might reason that the practical thing for him to have done would have been to keep the food for himself. Human ideology would have encouraged him that. Perhaps that would have been reasonable and pragmatic, but something must have touched his young heart. You could hardly blame a child for eating his own lunch, but somehow the boy at his young age I'm kind of, I've mentioned Tucker numerous times, but that touched my heart Sunday. Maybe it was a little boy like Tucker who just said, here, Jesus. He didn't even give it to Jesus. He didn't even give it to Jesus. He just gave it to one of his disciples, hoping. How did he know Andrew wasn't going to eat it between him and Jesus? On the way back, Andrew just wolfs down a quick piece of bread. How did he know that wasn't going to happen? He gave it to him in faith. I believe something happened to the heart of Andrew. And I believe he wrestled with being brilliant and being stupid at the same time. This is a brilliant thing to bring to a miracle worker. But the human side said this is going to be really stupid to bring this to Jesus and expect him to feed 5,000 men. with. Y'all understand that battle? Have any of you ever been in one like that? I would love to do something mighty for the kingdom, but I'm going to look stupid. And you won't know how you look until you surrender it. You don't get a preview. You have to give it up. You got to give it up. But notice this. Giving is infectious. Giving is selfless. When a person opens his heart to God, he also opens his hand to others. The little boy was acting on the principles that Jesus had taught all along. He was a doer and not just a hearer. His giving was an expression of his genuine faith in Jesus. He's what I would call a better believer. Jesus always responds to active faith and obedience. Jesus always responds wherever it comes from. It doesn't matter whether it's a Roman centurion, a ruler of the synagogue, or someone with, of no distinction at all. Faith and or obedience has always seized his attention. And when Jesus saw the faith of those who let down the man from the rooftop in Capernaum, He not only healed the paralytic, but he also forgave him of all of his sins. Isn't Jesus amazing? He always goes above and beyond. As often is the case where it seems obvious that nothing can be done, faith can excel. This is exactly the place to which God oftentimes leads us. Again, faith looks for potential. Unbelief sees only obstacles. Here's where he wants to meet us and to bless us. It's when we know we are with, without adequate resources. And when we see our total insufficiency and we really begin to discover God's power, when we are reduced to nothing is when we can best view Jesus as being everything. It is always wise to recognize the contrast between God's strength and our weakness. This was the lesson that David learned as a shepherd boy. I want everybody to notice this. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8, God reminded David way later, 
after he had been king of Israel for a long time, he said, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep, to be a ruler over my people Israel. Now everybody knows the story of David from the shepherd boy that killed the lion and the bear to become the king of Israel. Everybody knows that story and gets that story. But look at all the mess that David went through and how many times he reached places in his life when he had nothing but God. Y'all listen to what I'm about to say. My time's gone and I'm, I'm not nearly finished, but a person may become too haughty to be used of Jesus, and that can happen. But a person can never become too humble to be used of Jesus. A little faith struggles to believe. Let me hurry on. I can commend Andrew for trying to assist Jesus, but I'm sure he still felt that the little boy's lunch was even hardly worth even mentioning. There's a lad here with five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many, he said. What are they among so many, he said. And this is where Jesus tested Philip. But he knew that lunch was there. He knew the little boy was going to give it, and he knew what he was going to do with it. So from the smallest quantity of faith, out of that came an avalanche of blessing to the point that they had far more food taken up after everyone was full than they had when they even started with. That's how God does it. And this room is full of people that if you look back where you came from to where you are now, you would see the mighty manifest hand of God in your life. There's people here tonight that God remembered when you was just a little shepherd boy, but now you're in the kingdom of God. When you were lost in sin, but now you're in the kingdom of God. When your marriage was in shambles, but now you're in the kingdom of God. God, God just does and does and does and does, and we forget that sometimes. And we whine about the little things, forgetting at how things were and what it was like before. I came to God in the capacity that I have come to him. I'm out of time. I've probably got three more pages of notes. We'll be here at 9 o'clock. That's not a problem for me, but I'm not hearing preach it, brother, and keep on going. I'm not hearing anything like that, so I hear you. Your silence is deafening. I want you to stand with me tonight. Because I know that there's people here tonight that feel like I've come here with nothing. I have nothing to give. I have nothing to bring. And if I come at all, it's just going to feel really stupid. I'm going to feel really silly. Even my heart is not in the best condition. Even my, my physical self, my, my domestic situation, my employment situation, my this situation and that situation is just not very good. I know that that little boy's lunch had to be wrapped up in some kind of a container. 
don't believe he was just carrying the bread and the fish in his hand all day. I, I believe it was in a knapsack or wrapped up in a piece of cloth. There's people that's come here tonight with just a little bag, a little heart full, a little mind full of just something that seems so trivial. As a matter of fact, it is so unappetizing. There's a reason that little boy had that lunch left over. There's a reason it wasn't eaten. Maybe he didn't want it. Maybe he thought the fish would spoil. Maybe it didn't smell good anymore. Fish and wrapped up like that all day long, I don't think would smell very good anyway. But he gave what he had, forgetting about the condition of it. We need to understand that tonight. We can come to God no matter what kind of condition we're in. I know there's, there's some belief in our culture today that says that you have to get good to get God. No, you don't. Um, it doesn't matter if your situation smells like dead fish. Day old fish. It doesn't matter. God will take that. And he will use that. And make something out of you. That you can't even imagine. Casey, can you come to the keyboard please? I just, there's people here tonight that my heart's pulling in your direction really strong right now. And there's people here tonight that's running from God. You've been running from God. And you're fighting the will of God. You're fighting God's purpose. You're just fighting what God wants to do in your life. And you just keep repeating the same mistakes over and over and over. Just would like for you to ask yourself the question tonight, would God use me? He would love to. Because you have friends and family that are in the same situation you are. And he could use you to help them if you'd let him. I'm not asking people to admit to certain domestic woes and financial woes and all that. I'm not asking you to admit to that, but I'm just saying that that might be existent in your life right now. I want you to know that God cares about you, whether you believe that or not. And I believe God has brought you here tonight for that reason, for that purpose. I believe there's people that God wants to heal. I believe there's marriages that God wants to make better. I believe there's kids that God wants to make better. We just have to bring it to him. And he multiplies that effort and many people are fed, many people are ministered to because of it. So I, I know it's a, it's, it's, it's a little bit late, it's 8.22, but um, I'd just like for everybody to just come stand around the front for a few moments and just see what happens here tonight. I'd just like to offer somebody an opportunity to just bring what you have. You're the little lad with the lunch. It doesn't matter the condition of the lunch and how appetizing you think Jesus would find it. It doesn't matter. He'll take it, whatever it is. He'll bless it. He took that lunch and blessed it. And he multiplied it. And he can do the same in your life tonight. If God wants to minister to somebody tonight, I believe God wants to touch somebody tonight. So as y'all begin to sing, play softly, Grace Church, would you worship? Can we forget about the clock and just forget for a moment that it's Wednesday night and just be moved with compassion 
here tonight to be done with just a desire to see somebody minister to, to see God work with somebody. Can we all reach out to right now?